1: Well, good morning. Welcome to Silverdale Baptist Church. It's so awesome to see all of you here worshiping with us today. I'd like to welcome all of you here at our Bonnie Oaks campus. I'd also like to welcome those of you that are at our Creekside service or North Udawak campus or St. Elmo campus or any of you worshiping online. If I haven't had a chance to meet you personally, I'm Tony Walliser. I'm one of the pastors here at Silverdale, and today I have the privilege to share with you God's word. So this is what I encourage you to do. Go ahead and take your Bibles and open up the New Testament to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 9. Or you got a smartphone, you can open that app to Hebrews 9 as well. And um, do this as well. Take out these um, Bible study outlines that we provide for you. We give you these so you can follow along and take notes as we study God's Word together. And as God speaks to you, you write down the things that God's speaking to you about today. As most of you know, we have been studying through the book of Hebrews. And it's an incredible, rich, deep you know, book, a very Christ-honoring book as well. And we've been tracking through the book of Hebrews, and now we're in Hebrews chapter 9. And in Hebrews chapter 9, we're going to learn, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with a guilty conscience? In fact, let me set it up like this. Have you ever gone through airport security before, and you go through those metal detectors, and then suddenly goes, beep, 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 right? And everybody looks at you like you're some kind of terrorist, right? And a security person comes over and says, do you have anything in your pockets, you know, or they scan you or whatever it may be. And typically I'd forget, okay, I got keys in my pocket, forgot to take off my, you know, my watch or my belt or whatever it is. And so, you know, but we don't have a metal detector, we've got a sin detector. And it's called our conscience. And your conscience is a good thing. God's given you the conscience to prick your heart. Why? Because whenever you do something wrong, your conscience will, will speak to your heart. Hey, that was out of the line. That was wrong. Now, the fact is, is that your conscience is almost like your nervous system. What your conscience is to your soul is your nervous system to your body. Just like you can touch a hot stove and there's a signal that immediately goes to your brain that says, this is hot, move the hand, right? And then what happens? A signal comes back and you get out of there. Well, that's what... Your conscience does. Your conscience, if you cross a line, your conscience will prick your heart and you're like, wow, that was wrong, and you feel a little guilt. Now, you go, now, why do we feel guilty? Because we are, right? We're sinners and we've crossed a line. We know something that we shouldn't do and we do it. And, and so, you know, it, it may be, for some of you, it may be a sexual sin, Maybe you, you've, you've wandered into an area of sexual sin that you know is wrong, but you're there and you're feeling conviction about that. Or maybe you cheated, right? You, you cheated to get ahead at work or you cheated, you know, in school or you cheated on a relationship or, you know, hey, this is tax month, cheat on the IRS, whatever it is, and you feel a little guilty about it. Or maybe, you know what, you, you weren't a good person in a relationship, you you know, you, you ruined a relationship. You, you hurt somebody in that relationship. Maybe you were a bad parent or a bad child or a bad friend or, or a bad spouse. And maybe you so damaged it, it can't be fixed. It's irreparable. Or maybe you did something, a person's gone, they're dead, and you can't make it right. And so what do we typically do whenever we feel guilty about something? Well, we do exactly what Adam and Eve did in the garden. What is that? Well, they immediately cover themselves up and they hide. And humanity's been doing that for centuries. And we now today live in a culture that wants to be guilt-free. And see, we now live in a culture that basically says, oh, there is no sin. I mean, that's your truth. No, my truth says this is okay. And so what do we do? We redefine things that used to be wrong. Oh, they're not wrong today. Okay, let's redefine gender. Let's redefine marriage. Let's redefine sin. Let's redefine everything, right? Why? Because we don't want any guilt. We want to be free from guilt. And so we have a guilt-free life. We want, you know, guilt-free desserts. Or, or, you know, you, you can have, um, you know, guilt-free, um, you know, churches. No, no, we'll never talk about sin at our church. We, we don't want you to feel guilty about anything, right? And Psychology Today, several years back, had an article that said this, nine ways to talk yourself out of guilt. Well, folks, you don't need to talk yourself out of guilt. In fact, guilt can be a friend from Almighty God to prick you, convict you, and bring you to who? Bring you to Jesus Christ, because that's the only place that will deal with your guilt. And so what we're going to do today in Hebrews chapter 9, we learn how Jesus removes the guilt and cleanses our guilty conscience. Now, let me set this up for you. Remember what's going on. This book is written to Hebrew Christians. They have received Jesus as their Messiah. And now, as followers of Jesus Christ, they're under intense persecution. And they don't like it. And they're thinking, well, maybe it's easier just abandoning in Jesus and going back to our old Jewish traditions. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, you can't go back. Why would you go back to, you know, the the shadow whenever you've got the main thing? And so what he's going to do in Hebrews chapter 9, he's going to remind them how inadequate the Old Testament was with dealing with a conscience, with dealing with guilt. And so what I want you to do is on your outline, first jot this down. How religious rituals covered guilt. How is it that religious religious rituals covered up guilt? It it didn't take away, it didn't cleanse you from guilt. It just temporarily covered it up. Now, in the Old Testament, you know this, there were a lot of sacrifices. There was a lot of sacrifices of animals. And, And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And so that's the reason why somebody has to die because of your sin. And so there was a lot of sacrifices. Now, where did all those sacrifices happen? They happened in the temple or the tabernacle. And so that's the very first thing that the writer of Hebrews talks about. So let's look at this first. Jot this down. The details of the tabernacle. Let's look first at some of the details of the tabernacle. He's telling you, hey, this is the way it used to be. Verse 1, he said, Now even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. For a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstands and the table and the bread of the presence. It's called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place or the holy of holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold. In which was a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that budded and the tablet of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim, these angels uh, of the glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail. He's saying, you guys remember this. You grew up in temple worship. You remember how this all was set up. You remember what all the priests did. You see, back in that day, if you wanted to worship God, what did you have to do? You had to go to Jerusalem. You had to go to the temple, right? I mean, you know, today, what do we can do? If you want to download a worship song, you just go to Spotify and download it, right? Or, or you know what, if you want to listen to your favorite preacher, you just go online. Or, or if you want to download a podcast, you can do that. But not back then. Back then, if you wanted to draw close to God, you had to go to the physical temple. Now, for us, because we don't have a physical temple, we're like, What's, what is that all about? Well, what I want to do is I want to give you a visual tour of the Old Testament temple or tabernacle. Now, I want you to check this out. I love this. First, what happened is that you would go into the outer court. And in the outer court, you would find an altar there. That's where the sacrifices would take place. There'd be an animal sacrifice that would die for your sins. Because this was a bloody ordeal, there was a basin of water, and the priests would wash the blood off their hands from your sins, and that's the outer court. And then you would go into the holy place, which is the second section, and only the priests were allowed to go in here. And on the left, what you have is the lampstand, and it would burn with oil. And that's the only source of light in the tabernacle. And then on the right side is the table of showbread, and it has 12 loaves representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is where the priests would go in and do all of their work. And there was also this altar of incense burning there to cover up the people's sins. And their sacrifice and worship would burn there. And then behind that curtain, we would find the Holy of Holies. And only one day a year, the high priest could go in there, and you would first see there the Ark of the Covenant covered in complete gold. And you have cherubim, angels, on top of it, representing the presence of God. And God's presence would come down and reside there just once a year. And inside the Ark, you would find the reminders of the people's disobedience. You have Aaron's rod that budded, the Ten Commandments, and the manna representing their grumbling in the wilderness. And then the high priest would offer a sacrifice for himself and for the people on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And he would take some of the blood and he'd put it on top of the ark and he'd cover up the articles of rebellion and it would now be known as the mercy seat of God. He goes, okay. Okay. That's what you know. You grew up with temple worship. You know that's what's going on. And he says, I don't have to remind you of all those kind of things. But so that's the temple. But you go, okay, well, who's the one who does all the work in the temple? Well, it was the priest, okay? And so he moves from the temple to the priest. So jot this down. Let's talk about the duties of the priest. The duties of the priest. I mean, the priests were the ones who were doing all the sacrifices. Check it out. Look at it in verse 6. These preparations... Having thus been made, the priest go regularly into the first section, performing their ritual duties. And he goes, you remember how busy the priests were. I mean, they were always making sacrifices all the time. Why? Because in the Old Testament, there's over 600 laws that you had to obey. And if you broke them, what do you have to do? There was sin. There could be conviction. You had to, at some point during the year, go to the temple and offer sacrifices for your sins. And that was just continually over and over again. And there's always needing more oil in the lamp. There's always more bread to be replenished on your showbread. And so, that's happening constantly. He says, you know that, right? And then what happened? The biggest day in the Jewish calendar was Yom Kippur. It was the day of atonement. Check it out. Look at it in verse 7. But into the second, that's the Holy of Holies, only the high priest goes. And he but just once a year, and not without taking blood, which he offered for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. He's saying, you guys remember this? You remember in your devotions through Leviticus, right? You remember reading about all this, right? Right? I mean the fact is you remember that the high priest once a year he would sequester himself there in the temple and for 7 days before you know you know Yom Kippur the day of atonement and he would recite his prayers and he'd get everything ready and he would you know make sure he didn't touch anything unclean I mean it was like Super Bowl Sunday would be the day of atonement and then finally when that day came he would kill a bull and take that blood as a sacrifice for his sins his family's sins and he put that on the altar And then he would go back out, and there would be two goats. One goat would be the sacrificial goat, the unlucky goat, and the other goat would be called the scapegoat. And he would sacrifice the unlucky goat, the sacrificial goat, and he'd take the blood of that goat. And he would go all the way into the Holy of Holies, and he'd put the blood on that altar, covering up the articles of disobedience, and so it would be called the mercy seat. And then he would come out with that pan of blood and he would do what? He would sprinkle it over all the people outside the temple. And then he would take the scapegoat and he would go outside and he would take a, you know, a little bit of wood and dip it into the blood. He would tie it on that scapegoat. He would then confess all the sins of the people onto that scapegoat. They would then go outside the city and they would release the goat in the wilderness or the desert and go, run, goat, run. And the goat runs away and everybody cheers. Whoo, hallelujah. God's gonna overlook our sins for another year. That that is how it worked in the Old Testament. And he's like, you guys remember this, right? You remember how the system, the, the religious duties, all the things that went on, right? You remember that. But then he says, but you remember something else too, don't you? You remember that when it was over, it wasn't really over. Whenever it was finished, it wasn't really finished. When it was done, it wasn't really done. Because after the service and celebration and song, when you went out into the parking lot and got on your camel to go home, you still felt guilt in your heart. You know something was still not right. Look at it. Verse 9. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. He says, you go through all those religious rituals, and guess what? It still doesn't clear your conscience. Why? Well, on your outline, I'm going to give you three reasons why religious systems are insufficient. Why religion doesn't work. First of all, number one, it doesn't last long enough. Your sins are covered up for a short period of time and then you sin again and you gotta go through the whole system all over again. You're just covered up for maybe a year. There's always another sacrifice to be made. There's always, you know, some ritual you gotta do. There's always oil, more oil in the lamps or more showbread. There's always something more to do. It doesn't last long enough. Secondly, it doesn't get you close enough. I mean, only the high priest gets to go into the holy of holies, the presence of God and that's just one day a year. I mean, for 364 days a year, nobody's getting into God's presence. It doesn't really get you close to God. Third reason, it doesn't go deep enough. It doesn't go deep enough. I mean, sure, it covers up your sins temporarily, but it really doesn't deal with a heart issue. In fact, notice how the writer of Hebrews says that in chapter 10, verse 1. Look what he writes. For since the law... "...has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered, since the worshippers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins." But in these sacrifices, there's a reminder of sins every year. For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. He says, you know this. I mean, all this stuff, all these rituals, it was just a reminder of your sin. It never really dealt with sin. You can put on the fancy clothes. You can go through the rituals. You can recite the prayers. You can go through the sacrifices. And there is still blood on your hands and guilt in your heart. Some of you may remember the name of Albert Speer. Albert Speer was a close associate of Adolf Hitler. He was the architect of the Third Reich. Nazi factories, he's the one who built them, the war machine. After the war was over, there were 24 war crime criminals that were tried at Nuremberg. He was the only one who confessed to any guilt. He was um, sent to prison for 20 years. And after he got out of prison, 10 years later, he wrote a book about his experience. And he was interviewed by ABC Good Morning America. And during that interview, the interviewer asked him this. He said, you mentioned in your book that you don't believe that your past can be forgiven. Do you still feel that way? And he sort of shifted in his chair a little bit, and this is what he said. He said, I served 20 years in prison, and I'm now a free man. I wish that after serving my time that my conscience is clear, but I can't. I still carry the burden of what happened to millions of people and I can't get it, get rid of it. This book is part of my atonement, a way of trying to clear my conscience. You see, he spent 20 years in prison, that didn't take care of it. He's writing this book of remorse and repentance, that's not taking care of it. Why? Because he still had blood on his hands and so do we. You see, the writer of Hebrews is saying, why in the world would you want to go back to a system that really doesn't work? And can I tell you something? No human system works. Take it out of the church. Right? I mean, why do people give to charities so they can feel a little bit better about themselves? Well, why do we compare ourselves with other people? That way, you know what? Well, at least I'm not like that person. You feel a little bit better about yourself. Why why do our atheists, why are they so radical? You can't believe that there's a God. Why are they so radical? I'll tell you why. Because they don't want anybody to tell them that they're going to be held accountable for the guilt that they feel in their heart. I mean, it doesn't matter what this world offers you. It can be pleasure and entertainment or Success and money and things and possessions, you can try to cover it up with drugs. It does not remove the guilt. It will not remove the guilt. And even what people do is they they come to church the same way and they just go through religious motions. We may not be sacrificing animals here, but we just go through religious motions. It's sort of our own little sacrifice, hoping that, you know what, God's going to be pleased with me because I went to church today or I served in this particular way. But listen to me. Doesn't matter how many Hail Marys you pray, doesn't matter how many times you come to church, it doesn't remove the guilt. Why? Because it doesn't last long enough, it doesn't get you close enough, and it doesn't go deep enough. And at the end of a worship service, you go out in the parking lot to ride not your camel, but your your car home, and you know something's still wrong. Well, I got good news for you. There's a better way. There's a better way. It's the way of Jesus Christ. So this is what I want you to jot down. How Jesus Christ cleanses guilt. How is it that Jesus Christ cleanses guilt? Jesus doesn't cover it up. No, he cleanses it. Jesus doesn't cover it up for a year. No, he cleanses it for an eternity. And so what I want you to do is I want to read several verses here. And I just want you to take in the depth of what's being written. Look at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, talking about God's heavenly tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, for if the blood of goats and bulls and sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of heaven sanctified a purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God. Look at it. Purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now look down at verse 24. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places year after year with blood not of his own. For then Jesus Christ would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he, Christ, has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There are some passages you don't have to preach, you just got to read and take it in. That's one of them. Well, what's it saying? It's saying Jesus is our great high priest and he didn't enter into a physical temple. He entered into the temple of God. He didn't enter into a temple that was made with human hands. He entered into the temple that was made by God himself. And whenever he came, he didn't come with the blood of goats and bulls. He came with his very own blood. And whenever he sacrificed himself, it wasn't just for a cover-up for a year. No, it was to take care of our eternity. And it wasn't many sacrifices that he made. No, it was a once and for all, one-time sacrifice. It is finished, paid in full, done. That's what Jesus Christ experienced for you. You see... All of the Old Testament. All of that was a picture pointing you to ultimately to Jesus Christ. And so, okay, we're on this side of the cross and resurrection. How do we get right? How do you get right with God? How are you cleansed of your sin? How are you forgiven? How is your conscience made clear? Well, it's Jesus. In what way? Well, first of all, you need a temple. Well, good news. Jesus said... But i tell you that something greater than the temple is here. Jesus came and tabernacled among us. You need a lampstand. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Well, you need the bread of God's presence. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Well, you need a high priest. The Bible says we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. What else do you need? Well, you need a perfect sacrifice. Well, good news, folks. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And what else do you need? You personally need a day of atonement Well, the Bible promises everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus Christ became the scapegoat so that you could be free. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin for you so that you could become the righteousness of Almighty God. Jesus is the only way. That's what the Bible is saying. Jesus alone cleanses us. Now, some people, they don't like this message. They say, you know, there's just too much blood in the Bible. There's just too much death. It's all this sacrifice, all this killing, all this death. What's going on? I mean, even, even in the New Testament, in all four of the Gospels, they end pointing to the, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ Why? Why why all this death? I'll tell you why. Because the wages of sin is death. And you and I, we got blood on our hands. We sinned against the holy God. And somebody's got to die and be sacrificed for our sins. That's what the Bible says. And if Jesus isn't your way, then you've got to do it yourself. There's blood on your hands. Why? Why? Why the shedding of blood? Well, look what the Bible says. Look at verse 22. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ, he shed his righteous, holy blood for you and I. Why? So that we could be made clean. And if you will come and you say, Jesus, I got a guilty heart and I got blood on my hands. Jesus said, I got blood on my hands too. You surrender your hands to me and I'll cleanse you and forgive you. Right, You turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and what does the Bible say? The Bible says, he will wash us whiter than snow. Though our sin be as scarlet, they will be made white as snow. God says, I'm gonna cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. I'm gonna keep washing. I'm gonna make sure there's nothing left on this. I wanna be clean, right? That's what the Bible says. The Bible says that he washes us, he cleans us, he forgives us. How? Because we're not saved by the blood of animals. We're, bled, we're saved by the blood of the Son of God. I mean, look at it. Look at it, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The Bible says that when God forgives you, he gives you a clear conscience. You're forgiven. Now, some people may push back on that and go, I don't know, Pastor Tony, I don't think I can have a clear conscience. So, so you calling God a liar here? I think God said that the sacrifice of Jesus is enough for you to have a clear conscience. But you may go, but, but, but Pastor Tony, you don't know what I've done. Well, apparently you don't know what the Son of God has done. What he's done is enough for you. Then you hear people say, but, 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 you know, I know God's forgiven me, but I can't forgive myself. So you're telling me your opinion of yourself is better than God's opinion of you. See, Christ paid the penalty. It's been paid in full, folks. Let I me mean, put it to you like this. Let's just say that I am um, let you borrow my car, and you're a bad driver. And it was a risk, but I let you drive my car, and you wrecked it. You totaled it. And you come and go, Whoops. And I say, hey, you know what? I forgive you. I'll take the debt. No worries. You're forgiven. That's what God does on the cross. He pays the debt. He pays in full. Uh, All the sentence is taken away. He's taking care of it. But the problem that we have is this. You suddenly avoid coming around me. Because you're like, I don't want to see Pastor Tony because I, I just sort of feel guilty. I feel a little shame and regret that I, I, I tra- cra- trashed his car and, and um, he had to pay for it. And so you avoid me. But the Bible says that with God, because of what Jesus Christ has done, his forgiveness is so complete, our conscience is so clear, that we don't avoid God anymore, we run to God. And look at how this passage ends, Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes a judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Do you see that? That whenever Jesus Christ came the first time, he came to take the sin and the punishment and the wrath of God for you. And if you've now received Jesus as your Lord, good news. When Jesus comes again, you don't have to be afraid of his return. Why? Because he's already taken all the sin and the wrath of you, so all you now get is the love of God. When he comes again, he's come to redeem you and restore you and rescue you and take you home. Folks, that's what happens at the return of Jesus Christ. And so now, because of this complete forgiveness, we move from what? From dread to longing. Jot that down. Here's the final application. When you've truly been cleansed, you move from dread to longing. You move from avoiding God to drawing close to God. From being distant to being intimate. From apathy to yearning. Why? Because you've completely been forgiven. I can remember when my kids were real young and I'd go out of town for a conference or mission trip or something and I'd come home And my kids would run to the door and they go, Dad's home. And they'd run up to me and they hug me and squeeze me and hold me, and it's so sweet. I love that. But of course, kids grow up and they move away, and now only my dog greets me like that now, right? That's another story. But that yearning, that longing, that anticipating, that ought to be the way we feel toward God. That we long to see him. We long to be with him. Why? Because he's completely cleansed us and forgiven us. And there's nothing between us. Christ has taken all that was between us, taken away. Folks, Jesus ripped the veil of the temple in two. There's nothing holding you back anymore. In fact, let me close with this. You've probably heard the story of the boy who killed his grandma's pet duck. What had happened? He and his um, sister were on vacation for a week in the summer with his grandparents on the farm. And she had a pet duck, and little Tommy, he had just gotten a slingshot, and he was trying. He couldn't hit anything. And just on a whim, he took a shot at the duck and hit it right in the head. Boom, Granny's pet duck was out, dead. He couldn't believe it. He looks around. Nobody saw it. So he grabs the dead duck, and he puts the duck underneath his woodpile. When he looks up, his sister Sally's there. She doesn't say anything. She didn't run and tell on him. Well, that evening after dinner, you know, Granny says, hey, Sally, I want you to help me um, do the dishes. And she says, no, 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 Tommy said that he wants to do them tonight. And then whispers, remember the duck. (laughs) And then um, the next day, you know, they're doing some chores and she goes, Tommy said that he wants to do my chores today. Remember the duck. And the third day, Sally, would you vacuum out the car for me? "No, No, no, Tommy wants to vacuum out the car. Remember the duck. And finally, after a week of being Sally's slave, he comes to his granny with tears in his eyes and says, Granny, I'm so sorry. I killed your pet duck. And she goes, I know. I saw the whole thing happen out my window. And as soon as you did, I forgave you. I was just wondering how long you're gonna let your sister blackmail you. (laughs) Can I just tell you, Christ has taken care of the ducks, right? Right? And so what do you do when there's guilt in your heart and blood on your hands? You get to run back to religious system and you try harder and try harder and try harder? No. What you do is you lift up your hands and surrender to Jesus and says, I can't. I need you, Lord. Cleanse me. Forgive me. And Jesus says, I do. I've forgiven you. And when Satan whispers in your mind, remember the duck, you just remember Jesus took care of the duck and everything else in your life and walk free. That's how you have a clean conscience. It's found in Jesus Christ, amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you how you desire to set us free from religion into a true relationship with Christ. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for trying to follow the world's model of covering it up. God, we're going to confess it and be made right and believe that you heal and you cleanse forever. God, help us respond now to you. Even as we sing this song, help us respond. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
0: Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website.